We're reading from uh, a couple places in Samuel uh, around the relationship between Jonathan and David. And we'll start in 1 Samuel 18. We have a, a good little chunk here, so, um, so get ready to, to dig in. David says, Show me this kindness as my sworn friend, for we made a covenant together before the Lord. Or kill me yourself if I've sinned against your father. But please don't betray me to him. Never, Jonathan exclaimed. You know that if I had the slightest notion of my, fa- notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. Then David asked, How will I know whether or not your father is angry? Come out to the field with me, Jonathan replied, and they went out there together. Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If I speak favorably about you, I will let, if he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he's angry and wants you killed, may the Lord kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat, with, treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies. So Jonathan made a covenant with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself. Later in verse 24, So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon festival began, the king sat down to eat. He sat at his usual place against the wall with Jonathan sitting opposite him and Abner beside him, but David's place was empty. Saul didn't say anything about it that day, for he has said to himself, something must have been made David ceremonially unclean. Yes, uh, that must have been why he's not here. But when David's place was empty again the next day, Saul asked Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for dinner either yesterday or today? And Jonathan replied, David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. He wanted to take part in a family sacrifice. His brother demanded that he be there, so I told him he could go. That's why he isn't here. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want David to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go on and get him so I can kill him. But what has he done, Jonathan demanded. Why should he be put to death? Then Saul hurled a spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat all that day, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior towards David. And then later on, as soon as the boy was, done, was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, "'Go in peace.'" For we've made a pact in the Lord's name. We've entrusted each other and each other's children into the Lord's hand forever. And then David left, and Jonathan returned to the city. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. There's uh, one more scripture I want to read to you that is in, a, in your uh, bulletin. It was left out, which is actually the first one that we were going to read, which was 1 Samuel 18th chapter, verses 1 through 4. Um, excuse me if I'm grabbing papers up here. It's kind of windy. The air over here is blowing a lot. Um, that scripture is, uh, if you have your Bibles, is uh, 1 Samuel 18. 
After David had finished talking with Saul, who was the king of Israel at that time, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend, and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. This, is, this was 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4. In the 80s, the rapper Houdini gave us a song called Friends. I know it's going through your head right now. I'm not a rapper, but I'm going to read the words to the song. And you can get these lyrics. It's a really neat website, Original Hip Hop Lyrics. O-H-H-L-A, if you ever want to look up, dot com, if you ever want to look up these songs. It says, friends, how many of us have them? Friends, ones we can depend on, friends. How many of us have them? Friends, before we go any further, let's be friends. And the verses go this way. Is a, friends is a word we use every day. Most of the time we use it in the wrong way. Now you can look the word up again and again, but the dictionary doesn't know the meaning of friends. And if you ask me, you know, I couldn't be much help because a friend is somebody you judge for yourself. Some are okay and they treat you real cool, but some mistake kindness for being a fool. We like to be with some because they're funny. Others come around when they need some money. Some you grew up with around the way and you're still still real close to this very day. Homeboys through the summer, winter, spring and fall. And And then there's some we wish we never knew at all. And the list goes on again and again, but these are the people that we call friends. And it ends this way. And now you're kind of cold to the people you meet because of something that was done to you by some creep. But nevertheless, I'll say it again, that these are the people that we call friends. Friends. How many of us have them? Friends. Before we go any further, let's be, I don't need that, friends. Friends, the word itself connotes and conjures in us cynicism, fantasy, and pain. Often because you and I have lived in the lack of or shortfalls of friendship, yet ironically we can't hide or stop yearning for friendships. Friendships that we see on TV or read about in a book or hear other people talking about. For many of us, our friendships are hampering and deceiving, and some have been once promising but failed. Some are distant, some are too complicated, some are one-sided, too dangerous, or too busy by life to materialize. What we see in this narrative this morning is another one of those fantastic friendships that we all really want, but either have destroyed or lost or failed or never had. This friendship, almost brotherhood between David and King Saul's son, Jonathan. But this is not just a, another story to make you, oh, for the drama of their relationship. Just to have another fantasy of such a thing or even for you to get mad at God, at yourself for not having such a relationship. This relationship 
actually illustrates for us an aspect of the relationship that we as humans can have with God himself, a grace used for redemption. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that they were not just servants, but he called them his friends. And we look at this awesome friendship between David and Saul's son, Jonathan, and we should seek to answer a series of questions. What kind of friends do we have? What kind of friends are we? Do we even have friends? Why or why not? And finally, and most importantly, what kind of friend is Jesus offering to be to us? What kind of friends to him and each other can Jesus make out of us? What we can first learn about friendship from this narrative is that friends are a lot alike. In that they fit each other. The scripture I just read, Jonathan's bond is, is illust- bond of friendship is illustrated by Jonathan's clothing actually fitting David. Now, it's in contrast to Saul in chapter 17. When David goes to fight Goliath, Saul tries to put on his clothes on David and they don't fit. You see, true friends, friends share a common goal, oftentimes a common struggle. Maybe they're around the same age. Maybe they have the same issue. Maybe they're in the same community or have the same convictions. They fit in the same clothes, if you will. They wear the same thing in some way. They fit each other. Not only that, but friends get each other. The clothes, if you look at the scripture here, were given in recognition of who David was. Jonathan got David. And then in chapter 20, verse 13, he says, May the Lord be with you as he was with my father Saul. You see, Jonathan sees and he knows the vision and destiny of David. He gets David's calling. He gets even the craziness of David coming in and breaking the reign of kings after his own father. He believes in David's destiny and calling to be the king. Sometimes it appears more than David does. He even gets and acts on David's notions that Saul is trying to kill him. If we look at verse 1 here in chapter 19, I mean chapter 20, says, David now fled from Naoth in Ramah and found Jonathan. What have I done? He exclaimed. What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. I'm sure he's not planning any such thing, for he always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know he wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. Then Jonathan took an oath before John, David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by my own soul. And Jonathan, in understanding his friend and getting him, says, Tell me what I can do. He gets him. Jonathan hears him. He listens to him. You see, second to fitting is getting one another. And true friendship shown in Jonathan's love, fitting and getting David, is a relationship in which it is not only safe to be yourself, but to be who God has called you to be. 
In a true friendship, you are encouraged to be yourself over and against what others may think or hate about you. You see, a friend gets your crazy ideas and the what you love and and are good at. Now understand, they may not be good at it or have some love of it or, or be as passionate about your life or the thing as you, but they get you. They understand and accept the real you. Again, not necessarily agree or go with what is not good about you, but accept that that is the way and who you are, even if what is accepted needs some help, needs to be addressed, needs to be fixed, needs to be checked. A friend listens because they care enough and see and believe enough of you to check it out. A friend says, I feel you, but I don't think so. Or I, I, I get you, so, so let's talk about that. Or, or I feel you, so let's go for it. And more than seeing exactly what you see, a friend says, I see who you are as you see what you see. I see you in the work, even if I can't see the work myself. I get that you are seeing what you're seeing or doing or loving, good or bad. You know, one of the greatest desires we have here is to be known. Each one of us wants to be gotten. Each one of us wants to fit in with someone or someone's to be confident and free. To think and gaze and dream and cry and wonder and even fail as someone else actually looks on. Friendship softens and even removes the shame of being and failing and living and acting alone. You see, this is God's design. In creation, he declared all good and then said it was not good that man be alone, that he not have someone who was like him, someone to work with him, someone to get him, someone to see him be himself. He created us to have and be real friends, to be freed by our friendships, to to dance to an audience that will not condemn you with critique, but love you with it. Contrary to the way we have chosen to live and hide, guess what? You want to be seen. You want to be seen naked or clothed. You you actually want someone to see you and get you good and bad. And we must ask the question, if this be true, why don't we have more friends? Because of sin. What's that mean? Because something fallen in or around us has made us Afraid to get someone else because it may seem maybe to mean that they are better in something. Maybe we're afraid to be known. Maybe we're afraid you either will look like less or be threatening to others in what or who or how you are or how or what you do. Because rejection is a reality in a fallen world. That if you get someone Or if someone gets you and you get in this relationship, they can kill you. I mean, kill your heart. They can stab you in the back. And many of us have already determined that the pain of or possibility of getting stabbed or doing the stabbing is too great. And if there's no place a person that can heal or help us, we won't risk 
friendship. Forget it. You see, it's true. Friendship is a risk. What David and Jonathan did was an extreme risk, which is the very cost of friendship. See, the factors that made it their friendship so great are the ones that also make it so dangerous. Get this, the reason they could get each other and, and they fit was that they were both in a position to possibly be the next king, even though David was chosen by God to be the next king. Which brings me to this. Some of us, can't trust ourselves to be friends. We'll be, we're afraid we'll get jealous. We'll fail our friends. We won't follow through. We can't and don't risk our own failure in it. But there's more here I want you to see about friendship. For as much as friends are, are those like us, fitting us and getting us, friends are those who are unlike us. And in that, friends see what you cannot see. Well, I'm going to tell the story again real quickly that, that David's believing that King Saul wants to kill him and David's in the court. And um, Jonathan says, I don't believe this is true. And um, David is in trouble and, and, and sees and senses what Jonathan can't. Yet Jonathan says, tell me what to do. So Jonathan goes to investigate and he begins to ask his father a series of questions to see. And, and David goes to hide out and Jonathan asks uh, his father a series of questions to see whether he really wants to uh, kill David. He sits at the table of Saul to make sure of it. His ability to go and see what David could not see keeps David safe. Then in his knowledge to see about David's life, what David sensed but could not see, he sends David to safety. He says, I, I've seen it. Yes, my dad wants to kill you. I've heard it. You couldn't sit there and see it or you would have been killed. I saw it and I'm telling you, get out of town for your own good. You see, a friend sees what you don't, won't, or can't see clearly about yourself for your own good. A friend is not you and unlike you to see what it is about or in your life that could harm you. That you may not be free to see yourself. In other words, a friend's got your back. They are the proverbial eyes in the back of your head seeing what could take you and destroy you. But here is the flip side to a friend getting you. A friend can stop you from doing something or believing something crazy. Now, some of you here have had and have some crazy thoughts and ideas and notions. I'm going to start this business and I'm leaving this and I'm doing this. And a friend comes along and says, I understand and I hear you, but that's nuts. That's crazy. You know, a friend comes along and says, Howard, you stupid. That's dumb. Or on a more serious note, you're going to kill yourself. You're destroying yourself and your life and your family. A friend can and does look you in the eye and say, I love you, but you're evil and sinful and morally here. You stink to me and everyone else. Let's be honest. A friend is the one who smells your breath and lets you know you need a mint. <laughs> Or that you need some more deodorant. 
I mean, not to be vulgar, but a friend probably has and will and is willing to experience some in some way, most if not all of your bodily fluid function, blood and sweat and tears and other stuff. Come on. Some of you had friends in college. You remember that night you drank too much and followed with too many ways? And it turned out not to be so good. A friend says, I'm with you. I see you and I'm willing to do and smell you. And guess what? It ain't too good for your good and hopefully a higher good. Some of us need and needed a friend who doesn't and didn't smoke dope when we did. Some of us need a friend, someone who may not be addicted to pornography. Some of us need a friend who isn't as selfishly pretentious as we are, or as vainly omnicompetent, or resorts to self-mutilation to be as beautiful as we come across. And some of us have actually lost or gotten rid of people who were who were and are honest for our own good because they don't immediately share in or let us go easily in our evil, destructive ways? How could we be so stupid in rejecting someone who isn't like us or sees us for our own good? Why? Because once again, we are fallen and sinful creatures, and some of us would rather die and rot than have a real friend. Some of you are lone rangers. Come across looking weaker and more foolish than you can see yourself. I have to thank my wife. Sometimes for not letting me make a fool of myself. Sometimes I'm, you know, putting something on and I think I look good. Or or I'm doing a dance move. And when I'm dancing, I think I look a certain way. For you Seinfeld fans, do you remember Elaine's dance? That thing she did I mean there's a show there's a is a you know show in one of those uh, what do you call it the a show on Seinfeld and uh, episode rather and Elaine does this dance it's terrible a friend would have told that chick you don't look right <laughs> to tell you hard things to tell you your drawing it painting I don't see that, or that note or that technique isn't good. I have to thank Pastor Giorgio for the encouragement. But thank you for not letting me think I'm all of that. What a fool I would be. Like David, without a friend, we're headed toward the spear. You know, it's all through the spirit, Jonathan. We're headed to the spear of loneliness and self-deceit, of living life one way to at the end feel and look like a fool. And guess what God and guess what? God gives relationships and friends because he doesn't want you doing the Elaine dance to your death and disgrace, self-pain, and even pain of others. But this criticism, this seeing what others can't see about you and for themselves has an end. And in true friendship, its end is redeeming, but redemption costs. Friends lose for the other to win. See, in order for David to be what he was called to be, to stay alive, to be encouraged in ascent to the throne, Jonathan has to lose in order for his friend to win. 
He had to sacrifice in order for David to succeed. Look at what happens here. Remember in, ver- in, in chapter 18, I read about the clothing. And then if we look at verse 28 through 34 in, in, in chapter 20, listen, to, listen what happens here. He's sitting before his father at the dinner table. And it says, Jonathan replied, David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. He wanted to take part in a family sacrifice. His brother demanded that he be there. So I told him he could go. That's why he isn't here. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore. He swore at him. Do you think I don't know you want David uh, to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother as long as the son of Jesse is alive? You'll never be king. Now go get him so I can kill him. He is shamed. And then the, the next part of the scripture is Saul gets so mad he throws the spear at his own son. He's shamed and is almost killed in David's place so that his friend David would be okay. He's a true friend. He was willing to be humiliated and suffer and lose for the sake of David. For the truth of his friend's calling and person and and, and and, and, and survival. And then in the end, for the sake of his friend, Jonathan looses David. Look at what happens in verse 41 and 42. It's a sad ending. Uh, David came up from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Verse 41. Then David bowed to Jonathan with, with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have made a pact in the Lord's name. We have entrusted each other and each other's children into the Lord's hands forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the city. I'm sure he would have loved to have David around selfishly, but he sent him away for his own good. This law shows the strength of the relationship and strengthens the relationship. The Bible says they had made a pact. But on the flip side, we see from Jonathan and David's example that friends win when the other wins. If we look what happens in verse 41 and 42, they said, "May, may because you're safe, I know my children are safe. And if we look back at verse 12 through 17, they make a, a covenant and they say, David, when you come into your kingdom, remember my children. Remember me. David's being okay is a goal, cost, and benefit to Jonathan. That David's life is Jonathan's life. If David hurts, he is hurt. That if David makes it, he makes it. Now, what we see and learn here about the invisible covenant of true friendship is, is, is that is, is about covenant itself. That by the sacrifice, now in a real covenant of the Old Testament, it meant bloodshed. The one in need benefits by the one with the ability and call to sacrifice. And then that covenant is also a connection of people, like a contract part of the covenant. A signing on the line in which a breach will destroy the other and the faithfulness or success of one directly benefits the other. And here for us is where much of our so-called or potential friendships fall apart. That we or they or them are unwilling to be in covenant with us. Unwilling to create a bond in which they or we are called to sacrifice. 
to be willing not to be on top so that the other can rise, to not be seen so that the other can be visible and viable, to risk death so that the other can live, to take on shame so that the other can walk in liberty and freedom. A friend says, I become weak so that you can become strong. Now, I'm going to be honest, we really know or experience such things. And if we don't do, though good, it's often fallen and broken and breakable and tainted. And so friendship, the covenant of such a thing for most of us is a high interest in agreement in which we can't afford to default or fail on. In fact, some of you are still paying the heavy debt of a friendship gone wrong. And we've cut up and cut off any new possibilities. We have been in relationships where our closest friend took and took and took and left nothing. Where you were used. I'm here to tell you, one of the greatest lingering injuries in my life, me, is that there's a person out there in another state now that was my best and closest friend I ever had. We knew each other. We had each other's back. We knew and experienced the good and the bad and ugly of each other. And things got hard at one point. And instead of sacrificing, instead of hurting for the good, I trashed the relationship. I threw it away. This this happens a lot, guys. I preach to you. As someone who looks to and needs the truth of this message himself. Because right now, since then, I have had no substantive hope of that friendship ever healing. And so I come with the same question many of us do. Where then is the hope for real and true friendship? Ironically, it is in friendship. It is healed by a friend. You see, this story of friendship is less an example of friendship as much as it is a pointer to an expectant friend. A friend of people like me and you who mess it up and don't make do it well. A a friend of sinners. A friend of those who can't give back. A friend to those who who have yet to feel freedom to reveal or share themselves with somebody else. Like David, you and I are desperate for friendship. And as a matter of fact, our ability to be friends in a fallen and emotionally dangerous world is in a Jonathan. And for that, God sent Jesus to be our Jonathan. To be a friend to the friendless. To to the betrayed. To the forsaking. For the failing. For the faulty. For the unlovable. For those who fall short of loving others. You see, Jesus, like Jonathan, bound himself to humanity, bound himself to you and me like a friend. But by coming in the flesh and coming to this world, by his obedience to the father in coming and being humiliated and being crucified on the cross, formed and extended a bond of love to you and me. And like Jonathan declares that I call you my friends because all that the father has given me to reveal to you. For your own good, I have not and would not withhold because you are my friend. Like Jonathan, Jesus understands 
and feels and knows all that you are and aren't. Like Jonathan before his father saw, Jesus takes and took the accusations and shame. I'm here to tell you, Jesus was called and deemed worse than a son of a whore, as Jonathan is called, so that you could be called a son and a daughter of God. And of course, he took the spear that was for you. Unlike Jonathan, he did not dodge. He took the penalty that was due you so that you could walk in liberty and freedom from the bondage and guilt of sin and the sinful world that you have helped to create. But more than that, when Jesus died and rose from the grave, his friends benefited. Jesus, your friend, declared all power and authority was given to him both in heaven and on earth. And he's not like some of the other friends you may have experienced. When he rose, his friends rise. His friends get the benefits of his goodness, the benefits of his power, the benefits of his security, that your friend is actually God, that he is faithful to answer you. And as Jonathan, even hear what may go unnoticed by others, God, as your friend, actually hears and sees you. One of those benefits is that you can now, in, in, in him, will and be able to possibly be a friend or be befriended. Jesus says and said to his friends, you will be my witnesses. That you and I will be witnesses to the friendship of Jesus and therefore display and suffer as he expresses his love. And as you grow in that love, to display and suffer and try and fall and rise and forgive and even turn away our friend for their own good or hang in there offering the expressed gift of God's friendship in Jesus. And therefore... Go, be friend, be a fool for the friendships, all because God has come with a foolish yet true and transforming message of his love that Jesus is a friend of sinners and in that that sinners and the sinned against can have relationships and have real friendships. For some of us today, this means we should be encouraged to get on the phone And call that person. You know who I'm talking about. Get the emails rolling. Get that cup of coffee. And maybe some of us need to let someone go or be let go for the good of the other, for the other to win. Some of us need to stay. Some of us don't need to move or take that job or give up on them. But by faith in the strength and knowledge of power and power of Jesus' friendship to you, go to your knees. Seek him, ask for help, be befriended by God and faith because you and I live on the lifeline of the benefits that we have in Jesus. And I urge you, in closing, to come as a now application to this message, to this Lord's table today. Seeking the miracle grace necessary to believe that Jesus is actually your friend. 
And then for some of you, you never knew a friend like him ever existed. And you've heard this message and thought, wait, God is calling me to be his friend. And for the first time, my heart longs in a way that I can't let go. I urge you, call to Jesus in your heart, with your mouth, in prayer. He extends a bond of friendship to you. And the benefits are a right relationship with God, with yourself, and with others that you could or would call friends. Now, though this Lord's table is for those who have already heard and responded to Jesus' extension of friendship, he is willing and able to hear your prayers. You can repent and be healed and changed for not being a good friend. And you can ask him, saint and sinner, Christian, non-Christian, believer or, or unbeliever, that you can ask him to once again or for the first time be the best friend you have ever had. Ask him to come into your heart and be your friend. And Savior, Jesus, friend of sinners. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us because it's a miracle. Friendship is a miracle. And that miracle is exponential when we consider the fact that God came to earth to befriend us. To restore the idea of friendship in us and among us. Help us, Lord, to embrace by grace what seems too lofty, too good to be true, too unreal in our world. Make it a reality in Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.